Welcome to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small, your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Brought to you by LakeLink, your online fishing resource at lake-link.com. Outdoors Radio is also brought to you by Huntworth Gear, high-tech camo wear at a price you can afford. Huntworthgear.com. And by Ducks Unlimited, the world's leader in wetlands conservation. Now a proud sponsor of Outdoors Radio and always a supporter of duck hunters everywhere. Ducks.org. I'm Dan Small. Today, Jeff and I will report on our opening weekend hunts up in Bayfield and Douglas counties. And we'll talk with Mike Arnold about his new book, Bringing Back the Lions. It's a fascinating story. All that and more coming up on Outdoors Radio, so stay right there. Well, folks, it's time now for Madison Outdoors, and this is a feature you hear every week at this time on WTSO, the Big 1070, and anytime at all on our podcast on Lakelink, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. And joining us once again is pro angler Duffy Cup. Well, Duffy, we haven't talked to you now for a few weeks because we've been talking bow hunting. But you're not a hunter, so while many Wisconsinites are eating turkey leftovers or heading out for the last weekend of deer hunting, you miss all that madness, don't you? Oh, yeah, I do. (laughs) My last day out in the boat was not very fruitful. I did see a couple, but tomorrow I put the big tarp on it because I don't have a place indoors to put it. So I've got to call an end to the season. Got it, yeah. Now, you've winterized it, I presume. Yes, I take it up to... Don's Marine up in Lodi, they do a great job. There are some people that either let it go too long or maybe they do what they think is winterizing and don't change the four-stroke oil in there, whatever it might be. It's good to go through an entire checklist of stuff, whether you're doing it yourself or I depend on uh, those guys up at Don's because they know what they're doing. And then I also have them... uh, look at my bearings, make sure that those are good in the trailer, and I don't want any problems with that during the season next year. So I always keep track of those bearings because that can be an awful ugly thing if you have a problem with them. And we have all passed that poor guy on the road with one wheel on a trailer and the other spindle uh, or axle either ground to a pencil point or still smoking or whatever you don't want to have that happen ever well it it can get ugly because i i know a guy we were fishing a, a tournament up on lake wisconsin a walleye tournament this was a couple of years ago now and i was in my vehicle right behind him we were in his boat for the tournament so he's about 40 yards ahead of me and all of a sudden, his wheel just absolutely came off and bounced into the cornfield. The leaf spring on the, on the bottom of the trailer was dragging, and it was starting to get dark out, and you have all these sparks coming out of the back. And Jim did a, a great job of keeping it from going in the ditch because that ditch was really deep. So that, that might have saved his life. That was a very ugly thing. Once everything settled down, I had to go out into that cornfield about, 50, 70 yards and, and grab the tire and roll it back. You were able to retrieve it anyway. Oh, yeah, we got it back. There's no room on the side of the road, and we, there was a little farmhouse up there, so we dragged it on that leaf spring and asked the guy if we could park on the side of his driveway going up towards the barn, and he let us do that, and we, we got away with one there, I'll tell you what. I guess. Well, now, winterizing the boat, we'll get to that in a minute, but the trailer is something a lot of people 
forget and neglect or just figure, well, it's never been a problem. It never will be a problem. Of course, until it is one day and you're always towing something and going somewhere, and and that's not a good thing. So bearings uh, should be checked and greased. I don't know what else you can do. Yeah, sometimes those guys will actually uh, check the bearings. There are any that looks like they're starting to get a little bit flat on the side or whatever. You replace the, take everything out, clean it out, put new bearings in there, new hub in there, and grease her up and, and seal her up again, and uh, hopefully it will last. We get to the point where it's been for a while, or you go when we're driving up into northern Wisconsin or whatever, you get to, you're stopping for gas, you always take your hand and put it on the outside of that hub and make sure that it's not getting warm. If it, If it's warm, you already have a problem. Yeah, good idea. And, of course, tire pressure is something to be aware of and to keep it high enough so that you don't have uneven tires or that you don't unnecessarily wear them. And if you don't have enough, you know, it gets to a point where if you don't have enough air in there, that that just creates extra drag, and that drag is transferred right into the bearings. Yeah, wow, okay. Well, okay, so boat maintenance, uh, you take yours to Don's, other people take them to maybe the nearest marina, I take my boat to Cedar Lake Sales, and they take care of it, but for people who are doing it themselves, I'm not a mechanic, I don't think you are. Certainly I'm not. <laughs> what, what, uh, what do you need to do at least minimally? Well, I, I know they, they work with the cylinders and everything, and then uh, I make sure that I always have a full tank of gas. And, and the mechanics in this day and age, they will tell you to have absolutely your gas tank filled up. I know that uh, I have my boat uh, has a Yamaha motor on it, and Yamaha makes a, uh, a solution that you dump in there to, to keep the gas good over the summer. There are different, uh, like stable and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I trust uh, Yamaha. Yamaha's been very, very good to me. So their stuff, and they recommend that you do that. So I do that. I also, I have a 150 horsepower motor on the back of my boat, and I always put the high test gas in there, 91 octane. Yep. Anybody that doesn't do that, uh, except for maybe with the smaller motors, I, I think you're making a mistake. Yeah, you're risking damage to the lines, and I don't know what all, but. All, all the mechanics I've talked to say for outboards, I did it with our Honda Pioneer side-by-side. I do it for all, all of my small engines like lawnmowers and the log splitter and things like that. We use the high-test gas. Yeah, I think that's a good move. Yep. So, folks, if you have not winterized your boat yet, we had a little mild weather this week, and who knows if it's going to get continue like that or we're going to see some cold weather. So it's a good idea to... Get your boat winterized if you haven't already done that. Yep. When I knew it was going to be my last day out there, when you pull your boat out of the lake or off the river, first thing you should always do, even in the hot part of the summer, is take your motor and put it down and drain that water out of there. If you keep that and have it at an angle the whole time, you've got water buildup on the inside of your motor, and that freezes now you got another problem. Yep, we always drain drain the motor, too. And, and of course, the bilge, you should drain the boat. It's the law. You've got to travel with the plug out or no standing water in your live wells or your boat itself. Uh, well, and, and the live wells, uh, once the water, once the weather gets to the freezing point, you have a uh, some kind of a control. Uh, I know on my boat, 
uh, I have uh, control for the two live wells in there, and I always they want them, the mechanics say, make sure that it's open during the winter so there's no buildup of any water anywhere. Uh-huh. Because if you get buildup even in the plug that's in there and stuff like that, that can, that can damage your live wells, so make sure you do that. Good advice. Well, and speaking of freezing, you'll be at the St. Paul Ice Show coming up in early December, right? Right, I will be. That's December 2nd, 3rd, and 4th up at St. Paul. If you're interested, you go to uh, that website. Just go to the CLAM website or whatever. You'll direct it to the St. Paul Show. It is the biggest ice fishing show in the world. And I always tell people this, that even if you have no interest in ice fishing or don't even know what ice fishing is and you walk into that place, your mouth is going to drop wide open because it is, I mean, it's like it takes up three facilities. It's really a big show, and they really have a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, if you do, go stop in by the clam booth. I'll be working with them, and I will be working the area with the hub shelters, so stop by and say hi. All right, and it's clamoutdoors.com if you want to go to uh, the website and check out what they've got going on. Well, I know you're working on the Musky Show, but we're just about out of time here, so I guess we'll have to save any updates on that for the next time we talk with you. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, we'll catch up with you after the St. Paul Show and see how it went. Okay, Dan. Thank you so much, Duffy. You bet. We'll see you. All right, Duffy Cup with the Madison Report. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Since our inception, Huntworth has worked relentlessly to incorporate innovative technologies and forward-thinking design into affordable camouflage apparel. Our gear, designed with the disruption camo pattern, utilizes computer-generated graphics featuring a high level of random and abstract visual noise to help you remain undetected in the environment. So whether you need the latest in hunting gear technology or clothing that just simply fits your lifestyle, Huntworth Gear is what you're looking for. HuntworthGear.com. That's HuntworthGear.com. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. If you're ever in a motor vehicle accident, call Hupe and Abraham, named best personal injury law firm by the Wisconsin Law Journal year after year. The firm of Hupe and Abraham has collected more than a billion dollars for its clients. In fact, they collect millions of dollars every month for hundreds of satisfied clients. Call the firm voted best and rated best, Hupe and Abraham, 800-800-5678, or visit Hupe.com and all 11 offices of Hupe and Abraham in Wisconsin, Iowa, and Illinois, are open for business. And Mike Hupe, who is also the president of Milwaukee Crime Stoppers, has announced that he will pay a $25,000 reward for the next anonymous tip that solves a homicide case. So if you've got a tip on an unsolved homicide case, visit MilwaukeeCrimestoppers.com. Well, joining me from Wisconsin Rapids, back from his opening weekend hunt up in Douglas County, Jeff Kelm. Well, Jeff, welcome back. You had a good hunt. Yes, Dan. Uh, about as good as you could ask for uh, anywhere in the state. 
Yeah. Well, let's save the details until after the break, but I want to know what you thought of our Northwoods opening weekend weather. It was cold, Dan. There, there's no, there's no <laughs> ifs, ands, or buts about it. It was cold, but uh, you know, we dressed properly and uh, prepared properly, and you know, I, I think part of the best part of the story was just how much fun we had. Uh, even in the blind, you know, if we'll talk about the deer hunting later, but in the blind, Dan, we were making hot dogs, we made hot cocoa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we just had a good time. So, yeah. yeah. Cool, cool. Well, uh, did you have snow flurries over there on Saturday? You know, we, re- we really didn't. There was, uh, I mean, for maybe less than five minutes, a few flakes fell, but no, no snow flurries. Yeah, well, we were on the other side of the Bayfield Peninsula, uh, both of our Groups were hunting within a rifle shot of Lake Superior, I would guess, and mm-hmm. we had snow off and on most of Saturday morning and a 20-mile-an-hour wind. I didn't measure it, but that's what they told us. It sure felt like it, and 20 degrees and 20-mile-an-hour wind, I call that a 2020 opening weekend or opening <laughs> day. It, it, man, it was it was cold. Um, I wore my Huntworth Heat Boost bibs, their camouflage, but... Underneath that uh, Huntworth Blaze orange jacket, I was—I won't say I was comfortable, but I didn't—I uh, didn't get too cold. And you know, when I had to uh, move a little bit, I got up, moved around, and I think we all did. Uh, but boy, if you're in a tree stand and you had that northwest wind in your face, it was memorable. That's the way I, the way I put it. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, we will hear details on about your hunt after our break, but I can summarize our hunt pretty quickly. We had six guys hunting uh, John's property in Bayfield County, and it was uneventful except for one moment when John's friend Blake Gross shot his first buck on Saturday morning. Good for him. Yeah, he, he had a great time. He joined us last year for the first time. He's an adult, but he never got into hunting, you know, but like... So many people you and I know, um, they think, well, you know what, maybe I'll try it. And he enjoyed it last year, but John decided, you know what, I should really mentor Blake. And he shared the double ladder stand with him from which John has shot. I can't tell you how many deer he's killed from that tree, <laughs> um, from two different hanging stands. And we finally hung the, you know, put up the double ladder a couple of years ago. And he and Blake sat side by side all morning and, uh, took turns taking brief breaks because you got to have somebody alert. Mm-hmm. And at one point, uh, he, he saw one come and gave uh, Blake a nudge, said, here he comes. And the deer stepped off the neighbor's property onto the trail, and Blake dropped him with a perfect shot. I think he caught the uh, aorta or something above the heart. I, I helped him field dress it, and the deer just barely turned around and dropped in a heap, which is the way you uh, you like to see it, so it was yep. it was a great hunt for him. Yeah, Good deal for sure. Yeah, and the rest of us, um, everybody but but me saw a deer. <laughs> I never saw one, but nobody else had a shot. So it was unfortunately a typical opening weekend for us. We see deer. We we don't typically get too many. Um, this year we only got the one, but there were plenty of tracks, and I'm looking at going back up for the four day antlers. Well, I want to hear, and I know everybody else wants to hear the story of your hunt, and we'll do that after the break. And then we'll talk with Mike Arnold, who tells us how the North American model of wildlife conservation, where hunters pay for wildlife management, 
is now working to save habitat and game and non-game species alike in Africa. All that and more straight ahead on Outdoors Radio. Have more success on the ice with the LiveScope Plus Ice Fishing Bundle LI from Garmin. Drill fewer holes, catch more fish. This portable live sonar bundle comes with the LiveScope Plus system, EchoMap UHD 93SV display, and a lithium battery. All packaged in a case making hole hopping a breeze. LiveScope Plus helps you find more fish with improved resolution, reduced noise, clearer images, and better target separation. Fill your freezer with fillets with help from Garmin. Visit Garmin.com or shop your local Garmin dealer today. Since our inception, Huntworth has worked relentlessly to incorporate innovative technologies and forward-thinking design into affordable camouflage apparel. Our gear, designed with the Disruption Camel Pattern, utilizes computer-generated graphics featuring a high level of random and abstract visual noise to help you remain undetected in the environment. So whether you need the latest in hunting gear technology or clothing that just simply fits your lifestyle, Huntworth Gear is what you're looking for. HuntworthGear.com. That's HuntworthGear.com. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the Ruffed Grouse and American Woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Ruffed Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN. RGS. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small, and Jeff Kelm is with me here on the phone. And as we mentioned in our opening remarks, he had a great hunt up in Douglas County. Jeff, tell us how that went down. It was you and Robert and some friends, right? Yep, uh, hunting a, a friend's property. He just had bought it uh, last December. We're coming up on a one-year anniversary, and uh, we so we hadn't uh, hadn't gone through a gun deer season up there. It was a uh, property that was used for hunting, uh, but not real hard. The, the guy lived in uh, Minnesota prior to uh, that had owned the property and would come over now and then and. Uh, so there's, there's a bunch of work that we, you know, we can get done up there to, to really enjoy it. But, um, Adam and his wife live on the property now and, uh, they've really had a chance to kind of just now see throughout the, the fall season what the deer pattern is. And so we got ourselves set up in some, some blinds. Um, some of the guys decided they were going to sit in some tree stands or saddles. Uh, that didn't last real long in that cold weather. We talked about that earlier, Dan. It was, it was cold and, uh, I had prepared, Robert and I were sitting in a blind and um, ended up, you know, multiple layers of clothes and hand warmers and a heater and, and the whole nine yards to make sure that we were warm. And uh, and that worked out well. I mean, as far as comfortability, we were good. Uh, all we well, needed to uh, to make happen is uh, make some deer appear. Yeah. Well, did you wear your Huntworth bibs? I mentioned that I did. 
Yeah, the, both the Huntworth, uh, Huntworth uh, pants and and uh, jacket. Um, I just put a uh, blaze orange vest over the top of uh, of my uh, camo Huntworth uh, heat boost uh, jacket, and that's uh, that's what I typically wear. I've, and my vest has been with me now for well, that's probably going on a decade for that one. So, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, that worked out well. Well, good. It's too bad they don't make kids sizes because uh, Robert would have been maybe more comfortable. But you say you were fine. Yeah, we were good. We were good. Tucked into that blind, you know, closed up a couple more windows that we maybe, you know, could have had open. But really where our shooting window was was right right directly in front of us. And that's where that's where it needed to be. Okay, so what happened? Yeah, so we get into the blind. Get ourselves set up, and uh, it wasn't too long after daybreak when we had some uh, does and fawns come into uh, the food plot, probably about a half hour or so after daylight, and um, uh, they started milling around. It wasn't a food plot. It was a spot uh, that threw a little bit of corn out, which is legal in Douglas County, and um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, they were coming through and feeding, and uh, after about 10 minutes, we were trying to get a shot on one of those does, and where Robert was sitting, it was just, there was too much stuff in between him and the deer, and he didn't feel comfortable shooting. Um, you know, he could see ahead, but when he would bring the, the crosshairs down, he would lose sight of where the body and the vitals were. And, you, you know, you you could take a guess, and a lot of guys would have, but Robert was not comfortable doing so. Then he was really good at communicating with that with me. You know, where I was sitting in the blind, just off the side a little bit, I could see a clear shot on the vitals. He couldn't, and he didn't pull the trigger. So we were kind of milling around back and forth doing that, and then we saw the deer starting to turn back and looking from where they came from, which was uh, from a hillside. We couldn't see over the ridge of that hill. And uh, out of the blue, here comes this real beautiful eight-point buck, and he comes in. He's clearly looking for a doe. The the big doe that we just about were able to put a shot on had ran off to our left-hand side, and I think she ran far enough where she winded us a bit because the reaction of the buck was immediate alertness, like mm, something's up, something's weird, mm-hmm. and he was standing in the same place that doe was just eating. So I don't think he alerted. You know, he didn't pick up anything. I think she yeah. did, and he was following her cues. So we Got knew it. it was a pretty quick little batch. Robert could kind of see where the buck was but couldn't get a shot on the vitals. I had a perfect quarter to put it right through the shoulder-type shot uh, through the windows of the blind that I was looking at. And we were just, you know, it was kind of like, Robert, you want me to shoot it? He said no. Because <laughs> if we're under the mentor rules, we have only one weapon between the two of us. So the, the, the gun was in the in the uh, tripod in front of him. Uh, but I certainly oh, was yeah. more than willing to, you know, lean that sucker over and shoulder it myself. But um, but what I did do, it kind of in the last second, that buck did one big stomp of his foot. And so I knew he was on edge. Is I grabbed the tripod and I just pulled it towards me. And that was enough to get that gun into that window. And Robert went with the gun. He kept it shouldered, and he pulled the trigger right at the sweet time, um, right in the middle of that shoulder. He uh, he pulled the trigger. He got that Henry rifle, two forty three. We bought him for Christmas last year. That buck immediately started to kind of, I call it a half bulldoze. I mean, he he, uh-huh. he didn't fully go down. You know, you get that brisket where they just rub it on the ground and, uh, when you really put the, the hurt on him, but he kind of, I mean, he hunched like that and took off and we thought, all right, he's going to go down. And, and what ended up being, Dan, is we followed a blood trail over the course of the day and into the oh evening, uh, oh that, that stretched over a mile. And, oh uh, yeah, but he got him. He placed, uh, he placed a great shot on him. Would have never have told him to do it any different with any other weapon. Um, 
the deer absolutely, uh, uh, it was an absolute fatal hit. Uh, it just took a long time for that deer to go. And it was just kind of interesting. We're talking about how tough those Northwoods deer are, how tough they've got to be yeah. just naturally because it's just so hard to live up there. And, uh, and so, uh, it took him a long time to expire, but, uh, we, we did get, we did get to him and, uh, we were able to bring him home and, Robert was absolutely elated when we were able to call back on the radio and let him know we had found his deer, and yeah, cool. uh, and uh, in the mi- in the meantime we would went back to the blind about midday um, to uh, to kind of settle in for the afternoon hunt because he did have a statewide youth tag that's an antlerless yes. tag that he could use, and uh, we were still looking to peg one of those those does that was uh, milling around and. So after things had settled down, about three thirty, four o'clock, we had uh, about three thirty. A doe came in alone, and we again were trying to figure out how to get a shot on her. Could not figure it out. Uh, Robert again could see her head when she lifted up, but when the grass and stuff was just not quite in the right place. Yet I, in the corner of the blind, could see vitals clearly. So after mm-hmm. she left, she was in, you know, for another ten minutes. Then she did catch our wind and kind of bolt, bounded off. Uh, without blowing or anything like that, um, I said, Robert, we're going to switch spots. So I moved his chair, the tripod, his gun, all of that around within the blind. Without getting out, it was just this crazy fire drill trying to get it done. Oh, yeah. We oh, moved yeah. him so that he was in this corner. I thought, okay, maybe if another set of deer come in, now he can get a clear shot. Because I could see the whole time he couldn't. And, Dan, I'm telling you, that was exactly what we needed. It was only about 20 minutes later. Uh, right around four o'clock or so, uh, a doe and a couple fawns came in, and Robert was able to wait for the right shot. We had to communicate a number of times of "Don't shoot, don't shoot." There's a there the fawn is behind that doe, and you know we we wanted to make sure we we're putting on a clean shot. Robert laid a shot high shoulder in that doe. She bounded off not thirty five forty yards. And, uh, and expired very quickly. And, and it was, uh, it was just so much fun, Dan, to see. So he filled both his tags. And another side story, while we were looking for his buck during the day, we kicked another buck out of its bed. I thought it was Robert's buck. Uh, so I shot it, because uh, I was the one wielding the, the 243 at the time while we were walking around uh-huh. looking for his deer. Uh, sure. I shot it thinking it was going to be his deer. When we got up to it, it was a different buck. So, I oh, filled no. <laughs> my buck tag. Robert yeah. filled his buck tag, and uh, and his doe tag. So we tagged out. We slept in on Sunday morning. It was awesome. Wow, wow! And that those were the only deer your crew got. I guess it was the weekend, only right? deer. Yep. Others saw does, a couple small bucks, but nothing else that we were going to shoot. And uh, you know, the buck I shot, you know, I, I probably would have let it walk at any other time. I actually thought because Robert's blood trail deer went into the same bedding area, I. You know, the heat of the moment, I saw the antlers. I saw, you know, I saw the blood trail. I was like, "That's got to be your deer," and sure. uh, and and it, and it wasn't. It was a totally different deer. Uh, I could tell it was it was an absolute legal, you know, legal buck. But um, sure. we got up to it. It was like, nope, nope, your blood trail continues that way, and this is my deer now. So okay. it was just crazy. Wow. Yeah, it was an insane uh, series of events. Funnier part about that is where I shot my buck was the exact same. There was a fork in the road in Robert's blood trail and my deer. I shot that deer right where Robert's deer at one point was standing. Oh, my. And then well, my deer went off another 10 yards and died, and uh, and his continued on another three-quarters of a mile from where that point was. Wow. Wow. 
So he's got to be excited and hooked now if he wasn't oh, yeah. before. Oh, yeah. He's Three talking year about, in his yeah. first year. Yeah, he's talking about next year already, and he's all excited. And, yeah, he's, he loves deer hunting. Uh, we did a little uh, what are you thankful for at school this last week, and uh, he was the – what were you thankful for in nature? He said deer. Uh, favorite me- or most thankful memory was uh, deer hunting with dad. Uh, it was. It was. He, he's got mine, Dan. We got him hooked. Wonderful. Well, that's a great story, and I'm glad you had a successful hunt. And gosh, looking forward to more years of hunting with him. I'm sure. Many, many more. You bet. All right. Great story, folks. We'll be back with more right after this. Listen to more Outdoors Radio online at dansmalloutdoors.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. Most of us won't have a chance to hunt in Africa, but we still find African safaris intriguing. Whether we're reading a Hemingway novel, a story by Robert Ruark or Craig Boddington, or watching a hunting show on the Outdoor Channel. And you might be interested to know that in some African countries, what we call the North American model of conservation, where hunters foot the bill for wildlife management, is helping bring back many game and non-game species to viable population levels. And joining us now to talk about this particular phenomenon in one African country, Mozambique, is Professor Mike Arnold. He's a distinguished research professor of genetics at the University of Georgia, and he's also a lifelong hunter, a prolific outdoor writer with more than 150 articles in Sports Afield, Safari Magazine, African Hunting Gazette, and other publications to his credit. His new book, Book, and that's why we're talking to him today, Bringing Back the Lions, International Hunters, Local Tribes People, and the Miraculous Rescue of a Doomed Ecosystem in Mozambique, documents one success story that serves as a model for others. And the book was recently named by the Big Game Hunting Blog as one of the 15 best African hunting books ever written ranking alongside Hemingway's Green Hills of Africa, Capstick's Death in the Long Grass, and even Teddy Roosevelt's African Game Trails. And his website, where you can read more about what he's up to, is MikeArnoldOutdoors.com. Well, Mike Arnold, welcome to the Outdoors Radio Network, and thanks for joining us. Hey, Dan. I'm really, really excited to be here. Our mutual friend Karen Leto sent me a copy of your book. That's some pretty heady company your book is ranked with, Roosevelt, Hemingway, Capstick. Congratulations on that. It's a great book. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And boy, I was very humbled when they put it into that crowd of books. I didn't tell my family about it because I think they would have just rolled their eyes. And I think it's well-deserved. And we'll get into the book, but how did you get wind of this story to begin with? You know, I was asked to write a series of articles on some of the stakeholders in conservation in Africa. And I chose a set of folks who are invested all in a bunch of different countries, but Mozambique is one of their focuses. Those folks were Ivan Carter, Dan Cabela, Mary Cabela, and Mark Haldane. And 
these guys and gals, uh, because Mary obviously is the matriarch of the Cabello family, they have invested money and time and just an incredible amount of energy to bring back an area in Mozambique called Catata 11. It's a hunting concession. Catata is Portuguese for a hunting concession is what that word means. And it, it used to be a paradise back 1960s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and then, you know, like a lot of places in Africa, there were civil wars, and war of independence, and that sort of thing, and poaching just, and uh, habitat loss just really destroyed this whole area in the Zambezi Delta. So I wrote these articles, though, about this area that had been brought back, and based around these folks' lives, and I got an idea about writing a book about it. And I asked Mark Haldane, who is the outfitter there, who's concessionaire of Katata 11, I said, what do you think about having a book written? And I was supposed to go in 2020 <laughs> and do all the book research, but of course, something happened yeah. in 2020. And they closed Mozambique down and I couldn't get in. So I went last year and spent uh, months there. Uh, along with my wife, who's my photographer and videographer, and she's a non-hunter, which is uh, ironic, but she's not an anti-hunter. But anyway, we spent lots and lots of time there interviewing people, interviewing locals, seeing what was going on, and, and I want hunters to enjoy it, but it's really designed as an explanation and as an illustration of a model of how hunting brings back whole areas through funds and that sort of thing, but it's really designed to speak to non-hunters as much as it is hunters. That was my goal with it anyway. What kind of reception are you getting from non-hunters? Very good reception. Actually, I have not had any kind of vitriolic, I guess I would say, pushback. Now, now it might happen, but I haven't had that kind of experience yet with someone reading it and getting upset about it that it talks about hunting. Anecdotally, I have a very good friend who, she actually is a member of PETA, believe it or not. Uh, she and her husband are good friends of ours. They know I'm a hunter. Uh, she won't go into my trophy room, <laughs> but she wanted to read this book. Hmm. Kathy wanted to read the book, and I said, Kathy, it's not a chapter after chapter after chapter about me hunting, but it, there are pictures of animals that I've hunted in there and all this sort of thing, and I do talk about hunting. Well, she still wanted to read it, and when she read it, and then she wanted to meet, and I kidded with my wife, Frances, I said, do you think, I, you know, I have a carry permit. So anyway, we met, and the first words out of Kathy's mouth was, you've changed my mind. She did not mean that she thinks people ought to hunt necessarily. It doesn't mean that she wants to hunt. doesn't mean that she wants to take up firearm, you know, shooting or anything like that. She said, what you proved to me was that hunting can indeed fund restoration of, you know, sets of ecosystems, but also rejuvenation of human population and increasing the quality of living by orders of magnitude for humans. And that's what she meant. And so that's what I'm hoping for. I'm not really trying to evangelize folks for hunting necessarily. Would I love to see everybody out there hunting? Of course I would, because I'm a passionate hunter. That wasn't the goal. It was to explain to them, look, you know, maybe you should vote a different way, you know? <laughs> maybe you should think about in the United States that we have the Pittman-Robertson Act 
And we need to protect that like crazy because that's keeping our habitat out there. Wildlife, everything else, you know, that we don't hunt is out there because of hunters and shooters. Absolutely. Well, uh, that's remarkable that she had a, a change of heart and that you essentially convinced her of the value of hunting in wildlife restoration. Now, let's do a little, uh, let's back up a little bit and hear what happened in Mozambique. I mean, we know here in North America that early settlers did a number on the bison and other wildlife species, wild turkey, uh, prairie chickens, and others, and then along came the conservation model that we talked about. How did wildlife and the habitat get damaged in Mozambique? Across Mozambique, it, it happened the exact same way, but if you look at Katata 11, which is what I focused on, it was a very narrow focus in one sense. I mean, it's, a, it's half a million acres, and so it's a, it's a big chunk of land there with no fence around it. But what happened was, in 1975, you had the War of Independence from Portugal, and then the Portuguese left, and what happened after that was a 15-year civil war. During that civil war, this was a game-rich area. Everybody in Mozambique knew it was a game-rich area, this whole Zambezi Delta area. The rebels went there. The rebels were outside of the towns and cities, and the government forces who were fighting them were inside the urban areas, okay? So you had that division. The rebels were out there. Cape Buffalo were in the tens of thousands in 1975, let's say, in this area. The sable antelopes would have been in tens of thousands. The water bucks were in the tens of thousands. They did a biological survey, is why we know that, right before this all fell apart. But the rebels set up a meatpacking plant, basically, there, and they just went through and they mowed down everything that was large enough to feed their forces. And at the end of that time... By 1992, at the end of the 15-year Civil War, you had 30 sable antelopes left in this area. You had 1,200 Cape buffaloes left. You had eight zebras left. Oh, Water buck, you had about 250. Since that time, from 30 sable antelopes, they now have, with the hunting model that they have, trophy hunting model that's underpinning this restoration, from 30 sable antelopes, now they have 3,000. From 1,200 Cape Buffaloes, they probably have close to 50,000 now. It's been about five years since they did their last survey. So there's probably more sable antelopes, too, than 3,000. But anyways, from 1,200, you have, say, 40,000. The water buck went from 250. Now they have over 25,000. The zebras went from eight, and now they have 1,300. Those are not the only animals, obviously, that are hunted there. All of the animal populations are at carrying capacity now. The game animals as well as songbirds, you know, and insects and everything has rebounded since this model was put in place. Well, Mike, that's a great story. We have to take a break here. Will you stay with us and we'll come back and continue talking about uh, Mozambique and your book? Absolutely. We're talking with Professor Mike Arnold from the University of Georgia and specifically his new book, Bringing Back the Lions, about habitat and wildlife restoration in Mozambique. I'm Dan Small. We'll be back right after this with more with Mike Arnold. Here's a message from our friends at Remy Battery in Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. We at Remy Battery Company want to thank all of our customers and friends we have made over the past 90-plus years and your continued support of our local, family-owned company. 
stop in and see the expertise of over nine decades of battery knowledge and customer service. Let us take care of the batteries for all of your needs, from power tools to sump pumps and ATVs to hunting decoys, even down to the smallest hearing aids. Big and small, we have them all. Stop in for a free battery and electrical check before you hit the road, trails, or waters. Don't forget to ask your sales representatives about volume pricing. Call Remy at 414-384-0340 or visit online at remybattery.com for all your battery and battery accessory needs. You wait quietly, but you're getting impatient. It's been two hours and still nothing. You hear it. It's close. You see movement, but you sit tight because safe hunting is no accident. With all different hunting seasons open, your fellow hunters could be in a stand, on the ground, or in a blind. Do not shoot at movement. Be aware of what's in front of your target and what is beyond it. Wisconsin DNR. Adventures and memories. Enjoy Wisconsin's wild side. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the Ruffed Grouse and American Woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Rough Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN-RGS. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. I'm talking with Professor Mike Arnold of the University of Georgia about his new book, Bringing Back the Lions. And we're talking about the habitat and wildlife restoration phenomenon that he documents in this book that happened in the country of Mozambique in Africa in some of the richest game lands of the continent. And Mike, we were talking about, or you were talking about, how the poachers who were actually rebels in the Civil War were taking animals and processing them in a meatpacking plant to feed their troops and I presume to feed others as well. And and that depleted the wildlife resources. What about the habitat? What does that part of Mozambique look like and what happened to the habitat? What you have are two kinds of poachers there. The Mozambique folks have the terms wood poachers and meat poachers. And so the wood poachers are cutting down all of the trees. It's not selective harvesting, but they cut down all of the trees to make charcoal, which is what the urbanites use today to cook with. And they've used it for, obviously, for decades and decades and decades. And so in the areas that are not protected by hunting and are not protected right now, in other words, are not katadas and they're not parks, etc., they look like a moonscape. Hmm. Okay, when you fly from Byra, the closest airport, large airport, when you fly in there and then you take the helicopter into the katada areas, the hunting concession areas that are, you know, 45 minutes, an hour away by helicopter, you fly over just denuded land until you hit the concessions and then the concessions are just rich. I mean, they are canopy forests. They are, and it's, I call it an invisible line in the book. It's almost like one of those buried dog collar electrical lines. That's what it reminded me of. 
And what you find out is that that line where you go from a moonscape, a denuded landscape, to a rich in wildlife and, and trees and plant life and everything else landscape is because you have anti-poaching there. And that is funded by hunter dollars. And you have also an improvement in the people's lives there so that they don't need to poach. They have food. They have employment. They have the, through the hunting concessions. That is what it looks like. If you do not protect it, everything disappears. Obviously, if all the plants are gone, all of the animals are gone as well. You know, everything disappears if it's not protected, if it's not valued. It's one thing to say hunter's dollars help stop poaching, but, you know, what are the mechanics of this? Somebody who shoots a, an, an antelope so he can feed his family is probably going to want to keep doing that. How do you convert these former poachers to helpers? Once again, this is a wonderful model looking at Katata 11. Initially, you go in and you're at zero, you know, you're at baseline, you, you still have the habitat there, fortunately. They did not destroy all the habitat during the Civil War. They destroyed a lot, but they didn't destroy all of it. There's 2.7 million acres of land in this Marameo complex area that Katata 11 sits in. What they did, the outfitters go in, and the main thing you have to do first is feed the people. Okay, you have to get them protein. Uh, they can get a little bit of carbohydrates out of, you know, their, their small gardens and that sort of thing, but their protein, just like we were when we landed on the shores here on the East Coast, we ate everything that had protein. You, you know, you've mentioned this. I mean, we ate everything as mm -hmm. we moved from East to West. And so white-tailed deer in Georgia were extinct. Now we have one and a half million whitetails in Georgia, okay, and, and those are hundred dollars. Now, how does it work in Africa? Well, so in Mozambique, 40% of children are malnourished, and that's actually protein deficiency, and you'll see them with these swollen bellies, and it's called kwashiorkor. And once they hit that point where they're malnourished to that extent, you have cognitive issues, their disease resistance just plummets, and all sorts of different things that are terrible for them. In Katata 11, today, there is, and throughout the Katatas that are in that area, there is no protein deficiency anymore. Because every time an animal is killed, is harvested by a hunter, portions of that meat, if not the whole thing, goes into the villages. And so the villagers get 10 pounds of red meat per family per week. And then they also have a fishing program that the hunting concessionaires put into place. And so that gives them also meat protein. So you feed the people so that they don't need to poach. And then you employ the people, the poachers in particular, into anti-poaching teams. Because there will be some folks from the outside who want to come in and continue to poach. And so you have to catch them. And you have to clear out the traps and the snares and that sort of thing. Those are your two main activities. Feed the people to begin with, get them protein, and then put into effect anti-poaching teams. Yes, and it was successful in Kotata 11, and I understand other areas are trying the same, the same system, aren't they? Absolutely. All of the Katatas in that area, the 2.7 million acres of hunting concessions that 
know, some border up against Katata 11 and some are a little bit more distant. All of them have similar models there and the Mozambique government is applying the Katata 11 model and actually asking Mark Haldane to take over another Katata to the south in the dry forest area. They recognize that it's working. It's not just working for the you know, for the ecosystems. It's also working for the human populations, and the Mozambique government is very excited about that. Now, as I mentioned at the outset, our listeners aren't likely to go to Africa. I know a few do, and a few have, and, and I've been there myself on a photo safari and and uh, a couple of other trips, but uh, I have not hunted Africa. So why should the average American, even a hunting American who cares about wildlife in this country, why should we care about what's going on over there? Well, I think that because it's the model that we have um, in the West have given to Africans to utilize you know, and impressed upon them how we did it, and they have taken that model and, and put it into play in their own countries. Why should we? Well, I think as hunters uh, in particular, but even as non-hunters, but are interested in seeing uh, habitats restored, human population rejuvenated, I think it's a compelling story that shows what happened in the U.S. Actually, or North America actually works in Africa. It works in Tajikistan. It works in Pakistan or wherever we're talking about these hunting models. For me, you know, I only began hunting in in Africa in 2018, actually. Now, I've gone back and back and back (laughs) (laughs) quite a few to quite a few countries. I got the bug, as Craig Boddington says, definitely got the bug, but just reading about it has always fascinated me. You know, it's always excited me. I like adventures and adventure stories. And so, uh, you know, I, I think we ought to care on a lot of different levels. But for me, it's adventure stories. I still go back and reread Ruark and Teddy Roosevelt's, Craig Boddington's books. I, I just find them captivating. That's why I think, I, I think we can take a book like mine, give it to our non-hunting friends and say, look, take a look at it. I'm not trying to change your mind, but take a look at it and see what hunting can do, hunting dollars, what they can accomplish. I think you're absolutely right. And I'm a Safari Club member and I have a lot of friends who are, and I think some of them are probably listening. And uh, folks, this would make a great Christmas gift or holiday gift for the non-hunter or the hunter on your list wherever you have somebody who might be interested in learning more about the application of the North American wildlife management model in Africa. We can buy the book, I presume, on your website, MikeArnoldOutdoors.com, correct? That's correct. You can. You can also find it on Amazon. It's actually also going to be on the Safari Club International book site, too, pretty soon. Very good. And bringing back the lions, of course, you talked about all the other animals. Why did you choose lions in the title? Why not Cape Buffalo or Sable or Leopards? Well, one of the things that Mark Haldane and Carlos Faria, his partner in Katata 11, one thing they're really dedicated to is to see the ecosystems reconstructed to their pre 
human disturbance stage. And what I mean by that is they want to see all the animals, all the plants, all the everything back. That's their goal. So one of the animals that they have focused on bringing back were lions. They would occasionally see lions in this area, but the population would never come back without help. And so the Cabela Family Foundation, headed up by Mary Cabela and her son, Dan Cabela, have invested literally millions of dollars to reintroduce lions into this area, which seems counterproductive to some of us for a hunting area, because <laughs> they're going to be eating the antelope right. and everything else, right. and the Cape buffaloes. But Mark knew that. He knew that they were going to lose some animals, like a sable antelope, is worth a lot of money. It's one of the premier game animals to hunt over there. They knew it, but they wanted lions back. They wanted wild Africa to be wild Africa. We were there last year for the reintroduction of cheetahs. Mm. They decided that cheetahs had been there. They've reintroduced cheetahs. Now, the lions will be hunted, okay? The lions eventually will, they've all, they introduced 24. They're now well over 80, and that's after only about four years. And so they are doing really, really well. They will hunt them, but they'll also use them to translocate to other places that need lions. They'll dart them and, and carry them out. But they reintroduced those. They came from six places in South Africa, actually, six different populations. The cheetahs also came from South Africa and from Malawi. The cheetahs will never be hunted. They wanted these predators there, these top-tier predators, because they used to be there. Sure. And it's a part of the ecosystem. So that's why the titles bring back the lions. And for that same reason, there are a lot of people in this country who are very happy to see wolves returning to the upper Midwest where they never really left. Here, they came back naturally. And some hunters are against them, and some hunters are happy that they're there. They are a natural part of the complete ecosystem, and um, predators have a role. And that's, that's the argument that people have for presence of wolves, presence of lions and leopards and lions and tigers and bears, oh my, that whole list, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. It, it really is. I mean, the predators are part of that food chain and part of the ecosystems. We have to be mindful and they have to be controlled in numbers somehow. The cheetahs, they'll have to translocate because they're not going to be hunted in Katana 11. The lions can be hunted. Uh, you know, outside of prides and that sort of thing, and they can be translocated as well. We have to be mindful that these habitats are all disturbed. They're all limited in carrying capacity, so for whatever kind of animal it is. Yep. When you were out there with a group that was tracking leopards and trying to catch them and collar them to monitor how they were doing in that area... You were running through the brush one night and you lost your glasses. Did you ever find them? <laughs> no, sir, I did not. When I got back to the camp, my wife's in the tent. I get into the shower and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to explain to my wife that I lost $600 glasses because they were my prescription glasses. Fortunately, I had another pair with me. I said, hey, hon, <laughs> you happen to know where my other pair of glasses are? And she said, why? <laughs> right. No, I, don't, I have no clue. They're somewhere out there in the Ombo Forest. Yeah, they got ripped off of my face, and I didn't even know it. I mean, 
it was pitch black. I had a headlamp on, but I didn't even realize I'd gotten them pulled off. Well, maybe some baboon found them and he's been wearing them. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's probably, probably the, the case. Well, folks, if you want to read about that adventure and much more, including this very remarkable story of the restoration of habitat and wildlife in this part of Africa, you've got to get this book. It's called Bringing Back the Lions by Mike Arnold. His website is where you can buy it, MikeArnoldOutdoors.com. And Professor Mike Arnold from the University of Georgia, thank you so much for sharing so much of your story and for writing this book and for joining us on the show today. Oh, thank you, Dan. I've really enjoyed it. I'm Dan Small, more Outdoors Radio, right after this. Have more success on the ice with the LiveScope Plus Ice Fishing Bundle LI from Garmin. Drill fewer holes, catch more fish. This portable live sonar bundle comes with the LiveScope Plus system, EchoMap UHD 93SV display, and a lithium battery. All packaged in a case making hole hopping a breeze. LiveScope Plus helps you find more fish with improved resolution, reduced noise, clearer images, and better target separation. Fill your freezer with fillets with help from Garmin. Visit Garmin.com or shop your local Garmin dealer today. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the Ruffed Grouse and American Woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Ruffed Grouse Society toll-free at 888 join RGS. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Since our inception, Huntworth has worked relentlessly to incorporate innovative technologies and forward-thinking design into affordable camouflage apparel. Our gear, designed with the Disruption Camo Pattern, utilizes computer-generated graphics featuring a high level of random and abstract visual noise to help you remain undetected in the environment. So whether you need the latest in hunting gear technology or clothing that just simply fits your lifestyle, Huntworth Gear is what you're looking for. HuntworthGear.com. That's HuntworthGear.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Jeff Kelm. We're brought to you by Cedar Lake Sales on Highway 33 West in West Bend on the web at cedarlakesales.com. Winterizing supplies are in stock. I, I hope you've winterized or, or are really close to doing so by this point, but... They can do it for you as well if you haven't. Check out their website and Facebook page for details. We're also brought to you by Huntworth Gear, performance performance camel wear at a price you can afford. Huntworthgear.com. And by Ducks Unlimited, the world's leader in wetland conservation, a proud sponsor of Outdoors Radio and duck hunters everywhere at ducks.org. And if our TV show Outdoor Wisconsin is not airing in your area now, and that's for most of Wisconsin as well as some of the outlying states, I'm not sure who's airing the show now besides Milwaukee PBS, but you can watch it 
on Milwaukee PBS at the normal times, and you can watch past episodes there as well. And this year's Deer Hunt Wisconsin show is archived along with recent shows in that series on the Deer Hunt Wisconsin TV YouTube channel. You can find a link to it on my Facebook page. Uh, the radio show that you hear right now can be downloaded and taken with you wherever you go. Go to lake-link.com and uh, scroll down to the bottom. You'll find the Outdoors Radio tab, and uh, you'll be able to click on that and then find Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Download the show and listen at your leisure. Find Dan online at Dan Small Outdoors across the social networks and find me at Hardwater Jeff. A couple of DNR reports and items. The deer donation program is alive and well. It's been going on for 22 years and about 100,000 deer, and uh, that makes turns into 4 million pounds of venison have been processed and donated since 2000. So if you have an extra deer and want to donate it, go to the DNR website and look under uh, the words deer donation, and you'll find out what uh, to do if you want to do that. State Park stickers are available now, and they're good from the date of purchase through December 31st of next year, and it's that nifty compass uh, four-season design that we talked about earlier this year. Yeah, Yeah, it is really slick. Yeah, And if you happen to find a bear den while you're deer hunting, or any time you're out in the woods in, in the winter, of course, the DNR research team would like to know the location. They're surveying bear diet, litter size, and cub survival. And you can find details on the DNR website again under bear research. Have you found a bear den in, in, in your traipsing around up there in Douglas County by any chance? No, not at all. We had a bear the week uh, the week of uh, or the week before uh, the opener uh, mm-hmm. on trail camera, but uh, no bear dens that we spotted. We did not see a den or a bear, although John's one of his trail cameras. In fact, the one watching the spot where Blake shot his deer picked up a nice size bear crossing a couple of weeks ago. Well, if you find a bear den, uh, report it to DNR. They just want to find out where they are. Don't bother the bears. They don't want you to go in there. They know what to do with them. Our theme music is by Warren Nelson. You can hear more of his tunes at warrennelson.com. And if you happen to hear this podcast before Saturday, and a lot of people do, Warren and friends are performing live in concert, a program they call Thankful, Friday, November 25th at 7.30 p.m. in the Harbor View Event Center in Washburn. I'm Dan Small. I'm here with Jeff Kelm. Get outside this weekend, folks, and remember the firearms deer season is still open, then the muzzleloader season, then the statewide antlerless hunt. So wear blaze orange if you're outside at least through December 11th. Be sure to join us again next week for Outdoors Radio.